You're listening to Real Faith Radio, presented by Praise Chapel, Las Vegas. This is where real faith meets real change. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play Music to get instant notifications when new episodes are available to download or stream. You can also check out our website, praisechapellasvegas.com, to check out some more information about us and see what's going on this month on our events calendar. Lastly, follow us on social media at PC Las Vegas. With that being said, listen up, because here comes the word. Man, why did Art have to do that to me? <laughs> I was bawling over there. Amen. How's, how's everybody doing this morning? Good. Uh, yeah, what a, what a blessing it is to be here. Uh, you know, I, I always tease Pastor Art, and I tell him, uh, I remember when I first met him, we went, and my dad was good friends with uh, Sister Maria's uh, uh, brother, George, first, and I worked at George's Barbershop, and, and George invited us to go watch his team play softball at Salt Lake Park, and they used to park across the street by the tracks after the game, and we went over there, and that was the first time I met uh, Art, he's over there, and he's drinking, and my dad's... My dad, I remember my dad told him, hey, Art, when are you, when you going to come to church? And he laughed. He's like, nah. And Art was real cool. Pastor Art was real cool. You know, and he's like, nah. And I said, who is this guy, man? He was, I was a little youngster. I go, this guy thinks he's all cool, man. <laughs> I was like, I thought my dad was cool. And I thought George was cool, you know. George was real cool. And I said, this guy thinks he's real cool, man. He needs to get saved. But uh, he got saved. God did something in his life. And... Uh, I don't know, you know, it's just a blessing, you know, just uh, to be here, and uh, he, he had me, uh, he had me crying, man, I'm not a big crier, but man, I shed a couple of tears right now when he shared that testimony, and uh, I'm really blessed and, and grateful to be here uh, this morning, you know, and uh, just honored to be here, and I want to thank you guys for inviting me and Melissa out, and for all the couples that came yesterday and got ministered to, that was just, it was just an awesome uh, time for us, and uh, just, we're just blessed more than more than we could say, you know. Um, I like to open our Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27. And get right to it. Oh, I want to praise God that my friend Donnie and his uh, fiance Priscilla came this morning. They're from Las Vegas. Donnie, uh, Donnie's a fighter. Uh, UFC, uh, World Series of Fighting, he's been around the block a few times, so him and his brother, uh, I love them, man, met them, met them out here, and we became good friends and stuff, so uh, a blessing that they came today, amen. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27 says, think about the circumstances of your call, brothers and sisters. Not many were wise by human standards, not many were powerful, not many were born to a privileged position, but God chose the... What the world thinks foolish to shame the wise. And God chose what the world thinks weak to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, what is regarded as nothing, to set aside what is regarded as something. Uh, I love this scripture. And if we think about what Paul's talking about here, he's saying your call. He wasn't talking about your call to ministry. What he was talking about, your call to salvation. That's what he was talking about. And he was telling the, the uh, Corinthian church here, uh, few of them were wealthy. Few of them were famous. Uh, probably none of them. They weren't highly educated. They didn't have major influence. Uh, Paul reminded them that they weren't called because they were any of those things. 
You know, and if they were called and they became saved and they were those things, uh, when they became saved, they probably lost a lot of that, you know. So they weren't people of influence. They weren't people that had money or educated. Doesn't that sound like some of us in this place? Doesn't that sound like some of us in this place? Olshausen said, the ancient Christians were for the most part slaves and persons of humble rank. The whole history of the progress of the church is in fact a gradual triumph of the unlearned over the learned, over the lowly, over the great, until the emperor himself cast his crown at the foot of Christ's cross. We at times think there is no way that God can use us, right? There's times, there's some of us in this place, there's no way God's going to use me. I'm sure Pastor Art thought at one time, hey, I'm I just going to get saved and not do anything. I thought at one time, there was no way God could use me. Maybe you're sitting in this place and you're thinking, there's no way God can do anything. I'm saved, I'm, that's it. This is what my life's going to be. It's not going to be greater. But friend, I'm here to tell you that God uses the, the low. God uses the uneducated. God uses what the world calls foolish. God uses what the world calls weak to accomplish his glory. He accomplishes his glory. The first one I want to look at is the foolish. Have you ever thought about before you got saved, the foolish things you've done? I know Fino was telling me all the foolish things he'd done. Like two hours yesterday. I'm like, okay, I got it, bro. I got it, right? Fino was sharing with me all the foolish things he does. And then, and then, I was like, all right, bro, I got to go talk to some other people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, all the stupid things we did, right, before we got saved, the foolish things we did. And I was, uh, in Titus 3.3 in the message, it says, it wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin, ordered every which way by our glands, going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back, but when God, our kind and loving Savior God, stepped in, he saved us from that all. You know, and now we're here at church. And, and there's probably people that are being used at church. And you go and you tell your family, I'm an usher. Or I'm a Sunday school teacher. And, and your family looks at you and goes, they, they trust you to watch the kids? Do they know what you used to do? Your security at your church? Do they know that you, you have the offering basket, all that money? Right? And, you're, and your family makes, make, makes fun of you. And they're like, yeah, right. That church must be crazy. But God uses what the world thinks is foolish. Even our own family thinks it's foolish, right? I like to think of a few stories in the Bible where God used the foolish. Five loaves, and two, uh, five loaves of bread and two fish, said the boy. And with that, Jesus fed 5,000. Here's a little boy walking down the road, right? Probably the world didn't look at him at anything but a foolish little kid. He has five loaves. He comes up and says, here, Jesus, here's my lunch. And God says, yeah, I can use that. No problem. world probably thought this kid, he ain't going to do anything. What is this kid? Who knows what that kid was? God used that kid. And John 6 talks about the little boy. No status, no power, no influence. But here's Jesus said, hey, come over here. Let me see what you got in that bag. We can do something with this. Think of another story, the jawbone of an ass. Yes, I cussed in church, okay? The jawbone of an ass, Samson said, and with that, he slew a thousand Philistines. I love this one, because in Judges 15, it tells the story of Samson destroying the Philistines. I like the way the Matthew Henry commentary sums it up. It says, to take the bone of an, of an ass for this was to do wonders by foolish things of the world, that the excellency of the power 
might be of God, not of man. This victory was not in the weapon, was not in the arm, but it was in the spirit of God, which moved the weapon by the arm. We can do all things through him that strengthens us. Seeth thou a poor Christian who was able to overcome a temptation by weak, feeble counsel, there is the Philistine vanquished by a sorry jawbone. I mean, it's almost comical if you think about that. Here's, a, here's an animal that we call a jackass. I mean, we call dumb people jackasses, right? <laughs> but here's God. He says, yeah, I, I, just, I just imagine God up, up in heaven, and he's like, I want to make this even funnier. Right? God has a sense of humor. Look at some of you. No, I'm just kidding. That was my dad right there. Uh, But I could see God having a sense of humor, and he says, you know what? I'm not going to give Samson a a sword. I'm not going to give him a spear. I'm not going to give him a club. I'm going to give him the bone, the jawbone of a jackass. I mean, it's kind of funny if you think about that. And he goes, and he's going to slew a thousand Philistines with it. It's comical. I think about David. Five stones and a sling, said David, the shepherd boy. And with one of those stones and the sling, he brought down Goliath. First Samuel tells us how they laughed at David. Even Goliath said, you come to me with sticks. Here's David. Even his own brothers were like, whoa, man, I don't know. You know, maybe you should put on some of our, our gear if you're going to go down there. You know, send a little brother down there. That's cold, right? David said, no problem. I'm going to go down there. And he slew the Philistine. Foolish. Foolish, right? It's unheard of. There's no way. How would you send this boy down there? How would you send him down there to fight this Goliath? Impossible. But God takes what the world sees as foolish and makes something great about it. I want to look at the weak. In Judges 16, 13, and 16, through 16 it says, And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, Uh, If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of the Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of, of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one. Here was Gideon. He was hesitant. He was a hesitant. He was saying, even in my house, I'm the weakest. Even in my house, I'm the weakest. There's no way. My, my clan, we're, we're not tough. You know, if you've ever seen that movie, The Warriors, they were the orphans. You know what? They weren't even on the radar. There was nothing. They were just there, and God said, no, I'm going to use you guys. And then God, once again, it's funny again, right? And he plays games <laughs> in a good way. And he says, you know what? I'm going to turn it down a little bit. I'm going to take your 32,000. I'm going to put it to 10,000. And Gideon said, oh, man, I wonder what Gideon's saying now. Really, Lord? Really? You're going to send me now? We had 32. They weren't the best. But, hey, it was better than 10. And then the Lord says, you know what? No, I'm going to make it a little bit weaker. I'm going to put you out there with 300. 300. 300 to 120,000, and they won. They won. How does that happen? How does does God take the weak and make them weaker, and they still win? Do you hear what I say? How does God take 
broken, hurting people, people that the world says, nah, there's nothing for them. They're never going to amount to anything. Their family is the worst. And then he says, okay, I'm going to show what we got. We're going to get the weakest, and we're going to get what the word says. We're going to make them even weaker. We're going to break them down, and then we're going to make something out of them. I want to talk about the low. Get where, see where I'm going here? The low. In Matthew 1 and, and Luke 3, we have the genealogy of Jesus, right? Genealogy of Christ. If you read the book of Matthew, it talks about all the breakdown generations. Like, I know some of you read Matthew, and you're like, what is this all about? <laughs> you know, it's just it's just the family tree. But in Luke 3, uh, it, it, talk, it talks, it, it gives, uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry, in Matthew, it includes the women. In, the, in, in Luke, it only includes men, but in Matthew, it includes the women. And there's three women I want to talk about in that. Tamar, Rahab, and Bathsheba can easily be referred to as the bad girls of the family, right? Some of you are the bad people in your family, right? Your family, stay away from them. They said they're going to church, but we don't know. <laughs> right? In Genesis 38, Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. Okay, so she was the daughter-in-law of Judah. She marries Judah's son. Well, he dies, right? So in those, traditionally, she marries the next son. Well, then he dies. God took both of them. They weren't living right. God took both of them. So Judah, being a good dad, was like, this woman, man, <laughs> maybe she's the problem. Right? So he's like, my other son, he's not marrying her. There's no way he's going to marry her. So he plays games. And Tamar says, I, that's, my, that's my right. That's my right to be married into that family. That's the way it's supposed to be. She pretends to be a prostitute, sleeps with Judah, the dad, and has a kid. Twins. Right? Shady. Shady. Right? But one of the children was Perez, who continued the lineage towards Jesus. Okay? In Joshua 2, we learn of Rahab. Now, Rahab wasn't a pretend prostitute. She was a real prostitute. Okay? She lived, the Bible says she lived in the walls of Jericho. She saw the spies, and, and, and somewhere in between, she got converted. She figured that this is, the God of Israel is a true, real God. Here are the spies. They're coming in. They're checking out the land. We know the story of the tearing down the walls of Jericho. She says, hey, I want to make a deal with you. If I hide your spies, when you come and tear these walls down, you protect us? She said, they said, yeah, we'll, we'll make a deal. She made a deal, right? Now, the crazy thing about this, she shelters the two spies that's come into the city for the promise that her family would be saved, right? We don't know if those spies of Joshua was Salmon, because she goes on to marry a, a guy named Salmon, but he later married Rahab, and became the father of her son, Boaz. Boaz went on to take Ruth as his wife. They had a son named Obed, which is the ancestor of David and Jesus. So here we got a pretend prostitute, and here we got a uh, real prostitute, <laughs> and they're in the lineage of Jesus. You, get what, you see what I'm doing here? In Samuel 11, 12, it says, we learn the story of Bathsheba. So here's Bathsheba, right, taking a bath on the, on the roof. That's all bad. <laughs> Especially when there's places that are higher, than, there's buildings that are higher than you. King David, which he was married, he sees her, sends for her, sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. David thought he was slick. He calls out for Uriah to come back, hoping that he'd spend a night 
with his wife. He was a straight up G. He said, no, I want to go out there with my men. I'm going to wait right here by the gate. I don't know what he's calling me back for, but I, I don't feel right. David's like, man, that, that didn't work, right? So he sends them out to, the, to the, the battlefield, puts them on the front line. He knows he's going to get killed. He gets killed. He takes Bathsheba for, for his wife, right? Now, she wasn't right, right? She wasn't right. She, but they had a kid. The kid ends up dying. Nathan calls out, out David. David repents. He marries Bathsheba. They're together, right? They have another son. The son's King Solomon. King Solomon. That's crazy. King Solomon is in the lineage of Jesus. Right? He's in the lineage of Jesus. So here, here is three women that are in Jesus' family. Sure, his father, God knew that they were going to be in his family. But God used them. What the world would say is a prostitute, is a, is a pretend prostitute that tricked her father-in-law. And, and what I would say is a hoe in Bathsheba, right? Don't get all spiritual on me, everybody. I already said jackass. <laughs> but here, now she has, now God's using them. They weren't evil women, more like just bad women or women who made mistakes. Tamar had to do what she had to do to be a part of her family. She was rightfully owned to. Rahab was protecting her family and helping the plan of God. And Rahab is mentioned in the, uh, 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 in the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. It's a woman that ran, you know, a, 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 a house of prostitution. And she's mentioned in, the, in, the, in Hebrews 11, in the heroes of faith. And Bathsheba, although questionable because who takes the bath on the roof, still became the mother of a king. And I like this part for all you ladies here. Bathsheba is credited with being the inspiration for Proverbs 31. The attributes of a great wife. How does that happen? How does that happen? The attributes of a great wife, Proverbs 31, she's the, she's the inspiration for that. Women on paper shouldn't be a part of the lineage of the great Messiah. But God used what the world considered as low to literally be a part of his family. So why does God use the foolish, the weak, and the low? If we go back to our text, it says that no flesh should, have, should glory in his presence. No one will be able to boast, right? No one will be able to say, I did that on my own. Right? So that's why he do it, so we can see the power that he has. Some of us, the power that, that he's given us, right, the changed lives that we can go back and tell people, I was on drugs, I was, I was depressed, I was suicidal, I was lost, I didn't have no future. Like my brother Josh was saying, your future was like this, your past is like this. We can say God gets the glory. Some crazy things can't even, can't even be written in a movie, right? Can't even be written in a movie. Some of your testimonies can't even be written in a movie. Second is found in verse 31. He who glorifies, let him glory in the Lord. We cannot operate in our own strength and abilities. Too many of us are trying to operate in our own strength and abilities. Some of you went to rehab a million times, didn't work until you gave your life to Jesus. Some of you try to fix your family problems a million times, doesn't work until you gave your life to Jesus. 
Some of you try to make, get a better job, make a better living for you and your family. Didn't work until you gave your life to Jesus. He who glorifies, let him glory in the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, Paul says, uh, my grace is sufficient for you, uh, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know, my family, uh, if we go back a couple generations, right, we'll go back two generations, me and my wife's family, okay? So if we go back a couple generations, uh, my father was uh, born to a teenage mother that raised five boys, uh, three, three, three different fathers of those five boys. Um, welfare, drugs, uh, alcoholism, just, just going nowhere, okay? My wife's family, same thing. Her, her, her grandfather raised how many? Six? Six kids. A wife walked out on him, left him with six kids. No warning, no nothing, bye. So my father got into the neighborhood. Her dad got in kind of their rival neighborhood. It's kind of funny. <laughs> was it different, bound in drugs. Same thing. I was born to a teenage mother, you know. Uh, my father sold drugs, uh, you know, and, and, and where was my life headed? Where were we headed? They weren't married, you know. Her family, they, 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 her dad was into drugs, lost, gone, but Jesus saved them, touched their lives. We met in church, gave our lives to Jesus, met in church, got married in church, and now our kids have no clue about that life. They don't have no trace of that life. Yeah, we share with them. They know that they're grateful, and they but that generation... In two generations, how much it changed. The path of our family just turned once we gave our life to Jesus. Maybe you're first generation saved in this place. Maybe you're first generation and you just gave your life to Jesus and you're like, man, I come from a family that's jacked up. I come from no purpose in my life. I come from a family that we never made anything of ourselves. There's, no, there's nobody in our family that, that, that had, prior to us that graduated, to, prior to me and her too. Well, she went to school, my bad. Uh, that, that, that graduated from college. You know, my daughter teaches now. My son enrolled in school. And if, I, I think what Pastor Art said, my dad would be proud. Look at, he gave his life to Jesus the course of, the, of his family changed. That's the power of God. That's the, that's the power of God. That's the change. That's the change. We, we, who knows where we would have? We wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be here today. I don't know where I'd be. I was six years old when my mom and dad gave their life to the Lord. I remember small things Selling drugs, people coming into the house and, and holding them up, things like that. After we gave our life to the Lord, all I remember is Bible study, church, songs, outreaches, seeing people get saved. That's all I remember. See, friend, I am not a Bible scholar. I am not an eloquent speaker. I am not a best-selling author. I am not a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. 
I haven't invented anything. I do not come from a prestigious family. I do not have a college degree. I'm working on it. <laughs> I haven't saved anybody's life. I almost did a couple weeks ago, but he was okay. I have no streets, buildings, or hospitals named in my honor. And you know what? It's fine. It, re it really is fine. Because God is not concerned with my resume. He's not concerned with my resume. He's not with con concerned with my accomplishments. He is not concerned with who we know or what I've done. Always concerned about is my willingness. He's just concerned with my willingness. He's concerned with your willingness. The power, the wisdom, and the prestige can only be found and through Christ. Did you hear what I said? The power, prestige, and the wisdom can only be found through Christ. It's nothing of our own ability. When we rely on ourselves, we fail. But when we rely on Christ, we excel. Did you hear what I said? We rely on ourselves to fix things. When we rely on ourselves to make things better, we fail. But when we rely on Christ, we excel. God doesn't need superstars. As much as we prop them up, right? They give their life to Jesus next week, they're preaching. <laughs> he doesn't need athletes. He doesn't need movie stars, politicians, beautiful on the outside and powerful people. All he needs is people who will say, Lord, I am nothing without you. I need you. Will you use me? So my dad was going nowhere. But I look at his life, and I look at his testimony, and I say, wow. And I look at this church, and I say, my dad has a little piece of that church over there. Little piece of that church over there. Because he was willing. Hey, I see that guy. Thinks he's cool. I'm going to just... I'm going to disciple him. I'm going to spend some time with him. God can make something out of him. And because he was willing to spend some time with Pastor Art, God did a work in Pastor Art. God did a work in Las Vegas. Maybe you're in this place and you just think, there's no way. What, what can God do with me? How can God change any, my course of my family? You know, we're, we're, we're lost. Friend, if you surrender your life to God wholeheartedly and give it all to him, you can change the course of your family. People are always looking for answers to change the course of their family, right? They go to self-help things. They, Tony Robbins, and they listen to tapes, and they read books. And, and, and it's, it's weird to me sometimes. I'm like, that's all good. That's all helpful. Great. But I always think, they just gave their life to Jesus wholeheartedly and said, Lord, use me. Let your will be done in my life. You know, we talk about faith, right? And we talk about we're, 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 we have faith, right? But faith is not believing what you want to happen. Right? Faith is not believing what you, faith is saying, I'm willing to what you want to happen in my life, Lord. That's true faith. So when you say you're a believer, what do you really believe in? In your own abilities? In the things you want to happen in your life? Or when you say, I'm a believer in God's will for my life. Let your willingness take over. 
Some of you feel inadequate. You know, I have friends and testimonies, they couldn't read. Couldn't read. Couldn't read the Bible. And some of those guys are like the best Bible scholars now. That's God. So if you're in this place and you feel there's no way, God wants to use your testimony. God wants to use you to reach somebody. Maybe it's you that's going to reach the next Pastor Art. Somebody had a witness to all those great preachers we like to, to talk about, right? Somebody had to go up to them and say, hey, Jesus loves you. When I think about when I witness to somebody, I'm like, this guy might be the, the next Billy Graham. You know what I mean? Who knows? This guy might be the next Pastor Art Correll. God wants to use you. Don't let the enemy say that you're low, that you're foolish, that you're weak. There's nothing you can do. He wants to use you in this place. Amen? Let's bow our heads.